the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2012 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Now, the first part of the show is about estate planning and elder law, and the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, that's avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, and it's not necessarily equal parts, we talk about history, politics, religion. Tonight, we're going to be talking about history and politics, First, we have on Howie Kurtz, you know, from Fox News. He's got a great show each Sunday afternoon, and he's got a book out, Media Madness, and he talks about the liberal media's war against Trump, and he has some pretty good insights in that book. The next interview after that is one of my favorite guests on Connor's Corner, Kurt Fields, who plays General U.S. Grant. Now, when we're going to be talking to Professor Kurt Fields, we're going to be talking to him as President elect Grant in 1868. So we're going back in time about 150 years. And, you know, maybe we got a possible problem with the war with England, the war with France. He's got problems with the Indians, said back then. Got a war there. So he's got the problem of Reconstruction, bringing the South back in the Union. It's a very turbulent time for United States history. And General Grant is going to be ready to become President Grant and deal with all those issues. Obviously, the first part of the show, we're talking about estate planning, elder law. Ordinarily, my wife, Beth, accompanies me, but uh, today she's taking the day off. And we have one of the attorneys from our office, Adriana Lima, and she's going e- to read the email question of the week. Hello. So the question goes, Dear Mr. Connors, I have a question to ask that's very important. I greatly appreciate a response. My husband, 70 years old, has dementia and degenerative communication problems. When I can no longer take care of him, he'll need to go to a facility. I want to protect my house if we need Medicaid. The deed to our house in Queens is now in my name only. It was changed two years ago. Is that enough protection? The house market value is $770,000, and I still have mortgage payments. My children are beneficiaries. At the moment, I'm not ready for a consultation, but would love to hear your thoughts to the above. Thank you so very much. Sincerely, Marlene. Okay, I guess the first part of the question was two years ago enough time to transfer the house from husband and wife to wife? And the answer is yes. Now, I know some people out there saying, wait a minute, isn't there a five-year look-back period? But if you transfer, you know, a house from husband and wife, 
the house is protected a month after the transfer. So as far as it being enough time to protect the house, yes. Of course, at the same time, Marlene, you may want to do some planning to protect it in case you get sick because we never really know what's going to happen. And hopefully you have a PAV attorney sign for your husband because if he's not able to sign his own name and you want to apply for home care Medicaid, sometimes it can be very difficult if you do not have a PAV attorney that allows you to sign your husband's name to apply for benefits, maybe to fill out an application for a nursing home, whatever. And of course, we've also got to be very careful that your documents are updated. You said the beneficiary were your children on the property, so I assume it's in a trust. But if it's not in a trust and it's just under your will, God forbid you pass away and the deed to the house is in your name alone when you pass away, that will in order to transfer it to your children will have to go through probate. That's a court proceeding. And if your husband survives you, your husband may get a court-appointed lawyer to protect his interest in that probate proceeding, and that may cause quite a problem for your children because maybe the court-appointed lawyer may feel that he or she is obligated to file what we call a right of election you know, against the house, which means a third of your house may end up with your husband's nursing home bill, not with your children. So you got to do your planning right. Now, your, your house is worth nearly $800,000. We don't want to mess it up. What we want to do, if your husband's competent and able to sign a power of attorney, we would ask him to sign a power of attorney. We'd make sure that your house, if something happens to you, does not go through court, does not go through probate. And then we got to make sure that your assets maybe in the long run are protected from your possible nursing home bills because you never know what's going to happen in this world. You know, there's no right answer ahead of time, but you got to be prepared for almost anything that would come up. I think most of you know now, the regulars listening to the show, each week, Kevin McCullough reads one of the email questions that come in, and his show on 970 The Answer is Monday to Friday from 5 to 6 p.m. He's on MCA, our sister station, well, depending on which station you're listening to us on, 3 to 4, Monday through Friday. And getting back to the last question about Ken hearing us on a, uh, on a Saturday night, we are rebroadcast most Sundays at 5 o'clock which is before sundown now, so you got a better shot of getting this then. And we're on each Monday morning, I'm sorry, each Saturday morning at 8 o'clock. So we got 8 o'clock Saturday morning, 6 o'clock Saturday night on 970 The Answer, 5 o'clock Sunday afternoon on 970 The Answer, and 570 WMCA each Saturday morning. So here we go with Kevin McCullough. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Every Thursday we tell you that uh, Mike Connors will come and answer one of your questions if it regards uh, elder law or state law. And uh, the reason is he's one of the very best in the entire country at uh, knowing these things, particularly for people of the tri-state. And he's back with us. Uh, This week, Mike, someone writes, uh, Jonathan actually from Flushing writes, "Uh, I was told that I need a special needs trust for my disabled son who happens to be 42 years of age. What exactly does that mean? Well, I'm going to assume that the son is is mentally disabled to the point where he can't manage his own assets. So ordinarily, if you leave assets to somebody who's disabled, if they're on Medicaid or they collect other benefits, we want to set up what's called a special needs trust, which means somebody else, usually a family member, manages the assets for that disabled person. And in that way, they can keep their benefits. And in most cases, if you're setting up the trust, you can change the beneficiaries, or you can leave whatever's left in the trust after that person's gone to, let's say, your other children or or whomever, so you have complete control. But you do need somebody else to manage the assets for that disabled child. It's a way of leaving that child some assets. They keep their benefits, and your assets are protected. 
All right. Sounds like it uh, is a good plan. And, friends, if you've got more questions about a special needs trust, maybe for one of your disabled family members or a state law or elder care, it's a great time to call. Mike Connors of Connors & Sullivan, 718-238-6500 is the phone number. That's 718-238-6500. You can also reach him via email, mikeconnors at gmail.com. That's mikeconnors at gmail.com. Mike Connors, thanks so much. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you again, Kevin. Adriana, can you just repeat to the audience where they can send an email question? Sure. If any of our listeners have any questions, they can send us an email at askmikeconnors at gmail.com. Now, that's all one word, askmikeconnors at gmail.com. If you want to schedule an appointment directly, don't be afraid to give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. We have offices in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. And by the way, if one of your relatives speaks Spanish, you can schedule an appointment with Adriana. <laughs> well, yes, what are you, you laughing can. about? Do you, do you speak Spanish, Adriana, or not? Of course. Se habla español. <laughs> I, I would be very embarrassed if any of my family listening would doubt that I speak Spanish. Yeah, well, you know, we're radio. People can't see you. <laughs> yeah. Yes, please. If any of you have any Spanish-speaking relatives or friends, we would be more than capable of taking you guys on. So, again, if you want to schedule an appointment with us at any one of our offices, give a call at 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. We do not charge for the initial consultation. The first consultation is free. Anything we do as far as estate planning and elder law is done on a flat fee basis. We don't charge by the job. We don't charge by the hour. I'm sorry. We charge by the job. So come in and talk it over. There's no one right answer that fits everybody ahead of time. So we talk it over. We give you a plan based on our experience, and we've been doing it at Connors and Sullivan for more than 35 years. You come in. We talk it over. We give you a plan. We tell you how much it's going to cost. And you take it from there. Again, there's no one right answer for everybody, but the wrong answer is not to do anything at all. It's always good. If nothing else, start with the will. All right, we're going to take a short break, and then we'll be right back to talk to Howie Kurtz about media madness. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you, plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. Hi, this is Jean Potvin of Catholic Charities, Brooklyn, Queens, and a former player of the New York Islanders. I'm proud of my years playing hockey with the Islanders during the Cup years, and I'm also very proud of the work carried out every day by Catholic Charities, who is always there for children and youth, adults and seniors, veterans, mentally ill and homeless, with 160 programs and over 3,700 units of affordable housing. For more information, visit ccbq.org. We are committed to changing lives and building communities. 
Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. The pro-life movement is winning. One of the signs of progress is the growing mountain of medical evidence that abortion harms women, men, and families. Even researchers who identify themselves as pro-choice are coming to this conclusion and publishing their research. Abortion advocates try to hide and bury this information. But so much of it continues to come out that their efforts to hide it will not succeed much longer. Abortion really destroys itself. The more it continues, the more it reveals itself as an enemy of the human family. Those who advocate abortion say they care about women's health. But if they do, then they will have no honest rationale for ignoring the harm that abortion does. As the mountain of medical evidence against abortion grows, so should our hope that it will end. This is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Right now, we have Fox News media analyst Howard Kurtz, and he has a book out about basically credibility of the news media in their war against Trump. So what is your book about? My book is called Media Madness, and I went kind of insane writing it. Uh you know, we have anybody who owns a television set or a computer or even a radio uh, knows there has been a sort of scorched earth warfare uh, between President Trump and most of the mainstream media. Uh, there's a lot of exclusive reporting in this book about what goes on behind the scenes at the White House as top officials, family members, President himself try to cope with a sort of an unrelentedly negative barrage of coverage. And at the same time, we've never seen before a president who uh, is constantly on the attack against what he calls fake news, dishonest media organizations, sometimes journalists by name, uh, all of which has caused damage on both sides. But as a lifelong journalist, I will tell you, I think the more lasting and the deeper damage is to my profession uh, and our collective credibility. Now, you, you have a show on each week, Media Madness. I mean, the media buzz. Is media the buzz, right? yes. And aren't you part of the media? I'm not only part of the media, I'm a product of the mainstream media. Uh, I spent 30 years at the Washington Post. I have worked, this is the only thing I've ever done. And so this was a book that was written, it was painful for me to write because I love the news business. I believe in the news business. And yes, there have been complaints for decades about uh, liberal bias, sensationalism, superficiality, some of them coming from me. But we're in a different era now. The Trump presidency has, uh, I believe, and I document in this book, um, not only created uh, polarized politics, but even more polarizing media outlets. And so you have um, uh, journalists who privately, uh, according to my reporting, uh, refer to the president in the most disparaging terms, racist, fascist. Sometimes on the air you have commentators saying he's unhinged, he's not fit for office, he doesn't have the mental capacity to do this. And by the way, he's not only competent, but he's also a dictator. Uh, you know, in, in a series of interviews with me, President Trump says he's, he's still amazed by the hatred, he used that word hatred, that some um, journalists and commentators have for him. But at the same time, this is a president uh, who I think sometimes distracts from his agenda uh, by punching down against cable news hosts like Joe Scarborough, Mika Brzezinski on MSNBC, uh, by tweeting things that his staff then has to scramble to back up. Sometimes they're exaggerated, sometimes they're simply false. Uh, and so this is a book that's tough on both sides, but especially on my profession. I know it's a little bit tougher now, but, you know, I remember, uh, listen, there was a lot of hatred of Bill Clinton by the Republicans. There was a lot of hatred of George W. Bush by by the media and, and some liberal commentators. 
Obama got yeah, there's still a lot of people in the in, in the the right side. I wouldn't say it was hatred of Obama. I don't think that ever happened. But it, is really the hatred of Donald Trump that much worse than George W. Bush? Oh, yeah, by an order of magnitude. I mean, the things that were said about Bush, and he was at times treated unfairly, and he also uh, made some huge mistakes uh, during his eight years in office, where he, he was dumb, he was a cowboy, he was too loose with his rhetoric. There was nothing like the 24-7 attacks on this president as being everything from a Russian dupe to uh, to uh, somebody who uh, is mentally deranged. I mean, as you go through media madness, you find uh, when you look at what some of these folks say, and you know what? what's worse? The media's disdainful attitude toward Trump's supporters. By the way, 63 million Americans voted for the guy. I'm not pro-Trump. I'm pro-reality. I'm pro-fairness in media. And so there was a headline in the Huffington Post, a vote for Hump, uh, Trump was a hate crime. Uh, there was a, a salon columnist that talked about Trump's culturally backward voters, and they should lose their health care because it would teach them a lesson. That kind of thing has no place in journalism. And I think in many ways, journals have fallen into Trump's trap because he's a master media manipulator. I first met him 30 years ago, so I have uh, broader insight into this guy than do a lot of my colleagues. Uh, and the more he baits us, and that we then uh, go on the attack against him. Not to say that some of the stories aren't legitimate, not to say that some of the wounds uh, from this White House aren't self-inflicted, but the more that we're over the top, the more that we're obsessed and fixated with a Russia investigation that doesn't seem to be going anywhere, um, the more that people, especially his sympathizers, look at the news business and say, wow, you guys are really lost sight of any semblance of fairness. How do you think that the, the war on Trump is being perceived by the voters, all the voters? Well, look, when, when, when just about every day there are stories about this president uh, saying he's a liar, he uh, doesn't know what he's doing, his staff is incompetent, and all of that, it hurts him. I mean, it, 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 there's a reason that, although he's come up a little bit in the polls, he's still mostly in the high 30s. So that has hurt him to, to be constantly under siege. Uh, on the other side, though, uh, because this president punches back so hard, and there are a lot of examples in this book of how he just goes off sometimes on, on journalists and news organizations. And I think the whole fake news term is a little overdone. Um, There's a lot of stories that were wrong. Uh, CNN committed three high-profile mistakes last year. One of those stories involved the following firing excuse me, of three journalists. Um, but he has done a lot of damage, particularly among his base, but I think also among a lot of fair-minded Americans who might at least be willing to give Donald Trump a shot, uh, has convinced people that uh, the press is out to get him. There is something about Donald Trump, because remember, all the genius pundits told us during the campaign he wouldn't make it to Iowa, he wouldn't win the nomination, he certainly wasn't going to beat Hillary in the general election. There's something about him that gets under the skin of many uh, people in this business. Uh, they don't, didn't think he was going to win. They didn't think he should win. And they now question his fitness for office. And so I think for a lot of Americans out there who maybe aren't as partisan as the, you know, the folks you see on cable news, um, it, it's kind of a, a dizzying experience. Like, where is the truth? Who do we believe? Do we believe the media fact checkers who have lost credibility because people think they have an agenda? Do we believe the president who sometimes has said things that it can be documented are not true? Uh, and what about all the leaks coming out of the White House? One of the themes of media madness is all these self-destructive leaks by a bunch of people on the president's staff uh, who didn't know each other before, don't much like each other, don't have much government experience. And, you know, whether it's 
Ivanka Trump and her husband Jared versus Steve Bannon. Rice Priebus was a victim of this. Um, they, they, they disdain the press, but they're willing to use the press on an anonymous basis to fight their feuds and also sometimes to undermine the president who they're supposedly working for. Is there any pushback by the media? Are there people in the media, I mean, besides yourself, are there people saying, hey, wait a minute, this has gone too far? Uh, there are people who are sort of on the conservative side who say, who are more pro-Trump and say this has gone too far, the media's out of control, the media can't stand him. But unlike most Republican presidents, Trump doesn't have uniform backing or even you know, predominant backing from the conservative side of the media. Uh, this was true in the campaign. There were a number of conservative commentators, including some who work at Fox, who were never Trump, some who still don't like this president. National Review, Weekly Standard, these are, you know, or were influential conservative magazines that are largely against the president. So there's been pushback more in ideological terms. I'm not an ideological guy. I'm a down-the-middle journalist. So I'm trying to look at it for, from the point of view of, Okay, we get it. Maybe journalists who tend to lean left don't like the president's policy on immigration, didn't want to repeal Obamacare. I get that. You expect some of that to color the coverage. But it is this disdain, this visceral uh, attacks on Trump. It's like he's ruining the country. He's a terrible president. He's diminished our, our uh, uh, reputation around the world. And he cheats at golf. And he, <laughs> eats, and, he and, and, and he eats pizza with a fork. And he had two scoops of ice cream one night. You know, it's that kind of thing. It's like... It almost seems like he never gets a break. Gives a good speech, does something right once in a while, doesn't get much credit from the mainstream media. Okay, thank you. Howard Kurtz of the Media Buzz Show every Sunday and author of Media Madness, Donald Trump, The Press, and The War Over Truth. Thank you for doing the work you're doing. Thanks, Mike. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. The Guild for Exceptional Children, or GEC, has been providing excellent care to children and adults with developmental disabilities since 1958. It is our mission to help build better lives and brighter futures for the people in our care. We serve nearly 1,000 individuals each day and are proud that 90 cents of every dollar is used for actual services. Please visit www.gecbklyn.org or call 718-833-6633 to learn more. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. 
No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man, but there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person, I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. With me right now, I'm very pleased to have to Dr. Kurt Fields, noted Civil War historian and reenactor. And we're going to go back in time on the Civil War Roundtable on March 12th. We're going to go back to 1868. And in 1868, General Grant runs for president, gets elected, and then takes office. And right now, we're very pleased to speak to now President-elect Grant. How are you doing today, sir? I am fine as I can be. President Grant, you just elected president in November. Now it's March 4th, actually 1869. What is your plan for the country? My plan for the country is to do a better job than Andrew Johnson did in the dividing of the country. Uh, We are extremely polarized and divided between the North and the South with the Reconstruction. And we have also great difficulties with the Indian Wars in the West that we've been fighting uh, through the uh, late war with essentially our left hand while the right hand fought in the War of the Rebellion. So we're trying to address the Indian problem with the wars. In fact, uh, I sent Uh, Phil Sheridan out there immediately after the surrender. He didn't even participate in the grand review in Washington. I sent him west. So we're trying to, I am going to try to stop the Indian Wars. We've also got a problem uh, to deal with with the treatment of Indians, our Native Americans, the original citizens, with how they are treated with the fraud and the corruption and dealing with the uh, reservations and how they're fed and clothed, and in fact, I plan to change that in one of my first actions to have a new in- Bureau of Indian Affairs created, and I intend to name uh, Colonel, now General, Ely Parker, uh, a full-blooded Seneca Indian chief, general attorney and engineer, to be the director of that, and we're going to put missionaries in to run it instead of individuals who might stand to profit. I'm going to work with uh, the healing of the country by providing for uh, the veterans and their widows and orphans in the uh, essentially prosthetics with the replacement of limbs, pensions for soldiers who were wounded beyond being able to work, and to uh, get the southern states and the Confederate veterans to be supportive of the national effort to heal our country. And I'm going to address the financial basis of our country because we're some three billions of dollars in debt from fighting the late war, the rebellion. 
And we've got to be on a hard currency, uh, specie financial basis, pay our debts, not renege on any debts, and keep our credit both at home and abroad in uh, stellar shape. And the other issue with foreign affairs, in having to fight a two-ocean war in chasing the Confederate raiders such as the Alabama, the Shenandoah, and the Florida, uh, all over the globe, and in chasing and uh, apprehending privateers along our coastline during the war, we developed almost inadvertently, as it would uh, seem, a two-ocean navy. We became, uh, through no effort intent of our own, a, a world power. We are now a world presence. And to support that in fighting the war, in tooling up for the war, the Industrial Revolution took quantum leaps in production, capacity, innovation, invention. Because of the war, we are now a world power. We are a world presence, and that has not been the case before. So as I take residence in the executive mansion, I am intent on maintaining our world presence to be a good citizen in the community of, of world nations, but to keep our presence strong and positive. So my dinner table is quite full as I look at uh, the inauguration in March. Now, let me ask you something. You know, speaking about foreign countries, what is your feeling about Britain and France, the French excursion into Mexico, and, of course, the British aid, the, the Confederate raiders that you just mentioned? Those are, uh, as the, the old saying goes, we are dancing between the, the two horns of a dilemma or two dilemmas. Let me address first France. France is desperately trying here in the waning days of 1868, as we go into 1869 uh, and the inauguration, they're trying to reestablish their presence as a world power that they had when Bonaparte was the emperor. And uh, Napoleon III wants to uh, he's already established a puppet government in Mexico during our War of the Rebellion. He saw that as a weakness, which it was, in our attention to foreign affairs, uh, and uh, is hoping to come into our southern border through Texas and thrust into America. Now, President Lincoln was greatly concerned about that. He wanted to keep an army down there, General Banks, throughout uh, in Texas and Louisiana throughout the war. I wanted that army to fight in the western and the eastern theaters, but President Lincoln would not let me have those troops because he was gravely concerned that Napoleon was going to come in on the side of the Confederacy and to fight with the Confederacy. He fancied himself uh, as telling Jefferson Davis, uh, Davis, we are here. Like Lafayette said to Washington, we are here in, the, in our revolution. So we've kept an eye on that Mexican-Texas border. And uh, as I said, I sent Sheridan West and, and through Texas. I've kept a, a strong military presence on our Texas-Mexican border. 
Bonaparte is not going to come back into the Western Hemisphere in his efforts to establish France as a world power at our expense. The Monroe Doctrine will be jealously guarded and enforced, and we are watching that border. So France, though they may want to under their current leadership to uh, establish their presence or reestablish it as a world power, as I said a moment ago, they are not going to establish it at the expense of the United States. Now, the issue with Britain is a thorny one. The uh, British deny that they uh, supported the Confederacy. Uh, they deny that they knowingly uh, – they're, they're beginning to shift position a, a bit uh, to saying that they did not knowingly support the Confederacy by building ships at the Laird shipyards. Uh, there was uh, quite a bit of subterfuge uh, with uh, Commander Bullock of the Confederacy in Liverpool working with Laird shipyards. Uh, and there is no question but that the British did help the Confederacy by building the, the Raiders, uh, the Shenandoah, the Alabama, the Florida, and others. But uh, they are going to have to give recompense to the United States in the industries that lost money. For example, uh, the Confederate writers are responsible for the elimination of a complete industry. Before the war, lamps all over the United States were lit by whale oil. But because of the Confederate writers capturing and, and uh, sinking the whaling vessels, uh, whale oil, I, I expect to make an unintentional pun, dried up. So America went to coal oil, kerosene, to light their lamps. So we had a, a shift. An industry disappeared, oil oil, because of Confederate raiders. Many, many millions of dollars uh, were lost. I think some 60 to 70 ships were captured, burned, sunk, and lost to Confederate raiders. And they were this, this was all done by vessels that were built. Uh, in England. They weren't outfitted in England. They were armed in, in uh, international waters, and that's the saving grace for the British. But they are going to have to address that issue with us, and I am getting already uh, strong entreaties from industry and from Congress, members of Congress, to address squarely the issue and uh, to extend the, the between the horns of a dilemma concept a little further, I am going to have to uh, land somewhere in the position of the United States between an angry make them pay, which I hear frequently, and a, uh, a fair and equitable uh, compromise in how much the British government is going to pay in damages and claims due to uh, – it's already being touted as – or given a name, the Alabama claims, I believe, is, is what is being bandied about Washington City. So we're going to have to address that. And I've also got to keep in mind uh, the British – this is a sore point with them as well because uh, they might fight. They've rumbled about sending troops into Canada and, and – sending vessels, naval vessels, to patrol our waters. Uh, 
and we don't want that. President Lincoln, uh, in one of his more pithy statements, said one war at a time. Oh, the, the, the Mason Fidel uh, incident where those uh, Confederate diplomats were taken off a British vessel, uh, and we almost went to war with Britain then, early in the rebellion. And I feel the same way. Let's don't provoke a war with Britain. One war at a time, and now that we've got no war, let's don't start another one. So I will be working to resolve that issue between the United States and Britain and its assistance or non-assistance of the Confederacy. So those are the issues that I'm looking at. Sorry, President-elect Grant, we have to take a short break. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, talking to Dr. Kurt Fields as President U.S. Grant. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death, and it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. Welcome back to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. We're talking to noted historian Dr. Kurt Fields, who's giving a look back into history, talking to President, President-elect U.S. Grant in 1868. Now, speaking about the Confederacy, what is your plan to bring back the southern states fully into the Union and at the same time trying to protect the rights and lives of the recently freed slaves? Well, President Lincoln uh, had his plan where uh, he would readmit a state when 10% of the voters uh, would take the pledge to support the Union. And uh, three states came in under that plan, as I recall. But Congress, as soon as President Lincoln was assassinated, Congress reneged on that, and they made it uh, very, very difficult for a state to come back in the Union 
and uh, in an effort to punish the South. Uh, and President Johnson said uh, treason must be made odious and traitors must be punished. Well, that didn't bode well for a, a reconciliation for for the uh, southern the seceded states to come back into the Union, which is ironic because we contended throughout the War of the Rebellion that the states had never actually left the Union. So with a, an angry, uh, radical Congress uh, wanting to punish the states, they were jumping around on both sides of the did you secede or did you not secede issue. I want to get the states back in as quickly as possible and uh, adhere as closely as I can to what President Lincoln tried to do. When The last time I uh, talked with the president at the City Point meeting on the River Queen when the president and General Sherman and Admiral Porter and myself met just days before the war was over, I had asked the president uh, what his thoughts were about after the war because it was only a matter of a brief time. And the president said to me something that is profound and, and rings with me yet. He looked at me and he said, General, let them up easy. Yes, sir, let them up easy. And I think that that is what we should do. We need to let them up easy, get them back into the United States, and uh, become one country again in both the letter and the intent of the law. I don't think they need to be punished. Uh, we don't need to be executing former Confederate leaders, hanging them. That's, that is bandied about. And we need to be sure that the newly freed black man is provided opportunity to live a life of freedom and not put back into a legal form of bondage with uh, Jim Crow laws that are talked about being passed. So, and the, the violence that's taking place in the South uh, has to be addressed. I'm hearing the cries from people who are suffering, and I haven't even taken office yet, uh, that I'm, I must need to do something to stop the violence against the black man in the South. And I will do everything I can do to stop that. I will strengthen the attorney general's powers if necessary. I will seek legislation uh, to, uh, if necessary, suspend the writ of habeas corpus to send in federal troops. I will engage the attorney general and have him engage federal marshals and federal judges in the South and tell them I expect arrests and convictions or I will replace them. So that's a, essentially that is what I plan to do. At this time, before actually taking office, I cannot be more specific than that. Do you have any fear that the rebellion may ignite again? No, I do not, because, but I'm aware that it could if we don't treat our southern brethren in an appropriate and fair manner. For example, I, I mentioned a moment ago about uh, the, the talk about hanging Robert E. Lee and Jefferson Davis uh, as leaders of the, the rebellion and other Confederate high-ranking officials, cabinet generals, high-ranking officers. That, that could start 
another rebellion. Uh, the Southerners are, the, the Confederate soldier and statesman are men of honor. And if they say they won't fight again, they won't fight again. Unless we go back on, this is something that people should be aware of. The word that I gave General Robert E. Lee on that afternoon on April the 9th of 1865 when General Lee surrendered the Army of Northern Virginia. In that brief document that I wrote him to uh, the Articles of Surrender, it was very simple. It was very short. I practiced an economy of language because I did not want to say anything in that document that anyone could argue with about what I meant. And I think I was successful so far. Four years later, it looks like I was. But I told General Lee that he and his men could return to their homes and not be disturbed in their persons or property as long as they obeyed the laws of their area. Now, that it didn't say they were going to be hanged or executed or tried as treason uh, uh, traitors. It said, I said, I gave General Lee my word. If you and your men will return to your various and several homes and obey the laws of your area, you will not be disturbed in your property or persons. And I meant it. And I told President Johnson there was an indictment issued for General Lee's arrest. And I told President Johnson, wrote him a statement that said, I did, I promised that General Lee, to General Lee, I gave him my word that he would be left alone. He has obeyed the laws of this locality, and so far as I know, so have his soldiers and his former leaders. They did not agree to risk being tried and hanged. And I, I told General, uh, President Johnson, you may do whatever you do as politicians, but as a soldier, I gave my word to General Lee. He would not be hanged or tried for treason, and that's what must be abided by. And uh, frankly, it, it, General Lee, I don't think would have ever surrendered if he had been told, if I had told him across that table, in the McLean parlor at Appomattox Courthouse, Virginia, we're going to hang all of you. I don't think he would have surrendered. So my approach is we're not going to hang anybody, but we are going to establish the rule of law in the South under a federal government. Now, did that promise apply to Jefferson Davis? Yes, I think uh, I did not consider that at the time, but now I would tell you, yes, it, it would extend to President or uh, Jefferson Davis. He's now sitting in prison at, at uh, Fort Morgan, Virginia. Uh, President Lincoln had said it wouldn't disturb him if Jefferson Davis escaped from the country uh, because President Lincoln did not want to go through the, a trial for treason of Jefferson Davis. And let the country heal, but that would have that would apply. If I promised General Lee and his men that if they obeyed the law, they wouldn't be hanged, and to come back now and to say we are going to try and hang you is a reversal of what they were told with the intent of the word of honor, 
and we we should not do that. President uh, Johnson quashed the the order for General Lee, the indictment of General Lee. Because I also told President Johnson, if you do this, I will resign as General of the Army. Who will be your successor as General of the Army? General Sherman. John, uh, Tecumseh, William Tecumseh Sherman. Will, I will name him as my successor when I become Commander-in-Chief. Uh, something that, uh, I think that I could mention at this uh, juncture is I resigned – as general of the army, I'm the first general of the army in the United States military. Congress created uh, the rank of general of the army with four stars as a designation, and uh, that would be general of the armies, and uh, I'm the first one. But I had to resign from the army. I didn't retire. I resigned in order to run for the presidency. And I might add that on May the 21st of 1868, the Republican Party, some 650 delegates to the Republican Party convention in Chicago, unanimously nominated me. I'm I'm proud of that. But I had to resign, I felt, in order to run for the office. Now, in resigning, rather than retiring, I am not uh, eligible for a pension. I hope that doesn't cause me a problem later in life, but uh, I don't anticipate that to be a problem. But when I take office, I intend to nominate uh, William Tecumseh Sherman to succeed me as a general of the Army. Well, President-elect Grant, thank you for what you've done for the country. Thank you for sharing the time with us. It has been a pleasure, and I look forward to meeting and talking with you again in the future. On March 12th, New York City. I'll be there, and I look forward to it with great anticipation. So if you want to meet Professor Kurt Fields in person, dressed in uniform as General U.S. Simpson Grant, come to the 3 West Club, 3 West 51st Street, on March 12th at 5.30, and you get a chance to talk to the general himself. Now, he's just been elected president, so I don't know if you call him general or president-elect. Adriana, what, what would you say? He's really coming in dressed up. Yeah, of course he's coming in dressed up. This is amazing. Yeah. Now, the cost to non-members is $60. You get a three-course meal, but you have to call for reservations ahead of time. And you got to call at 718-341-9811. 718-341-9811. And, Adriana, are you going to be there on uh, March 12th? Well, now that I know that President Grant's going to be there, I'm going to try my best to be there. Okay, well, you know, and you have to think, thank one of our co-workers, uh, Chris Kaznicki, for arranging all of this because Chris Kaznicki is the vice president of programming for the Civil War Roundtable. So he's put together a great lineup of speakers, deserves a lot of credit for that. Of course, we did help a little bit. But if you want to go to see General Grant on March 12th, and believe me, he's going to be worth the price of admission, give the Civil War Roundtable a call at 718-341-9811. 718-341-9811. Now, later on in the Civil War Roundtable, we got uh, John Fazio talking about whether Jefferson Davis should have been indicted back in 1865. And I know General Grant has expressed his opinion on that, that he did not want any trials. He did not want any retribution. He gave his word to the Confederate soldiers that there would be no retribution after the war. He felt that General Lee, if he felt it was going to be retribution, would not have surrendered at Appomattox Courthouse, and he feels by extension that would go 
to Jefferson Davis, who was commander-in-chief of the Confederate forces. So it's an interesting point on history, because a lot of times back back 150-plus years ago, a lot of people thought that Jefferson Davis should be indicted, and that's what John Fazio is going to be talking about on our April meeting at the Civil War Roundtable, because he felt that Jefferson Davis should have been indicted in the conspiracy to kill President Lincoln. So we have differences of opinion. General Grant has one opinion. John Fazio has a different opinion. And that's what we're going to have in March and April. Again, if you want to schedule an appointment, you know, most of the time our job is to do estate planning and elder law. If you want to schedule an appointment, schedule an appointment with us at 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. You can speak to myself, Mike Connors. You can ask for Adriana. And I think we're hearing David Kincaid telling us to say goodnight for the evening. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, the voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.